Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Good morning. Well, let me get get everything settled real quick. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Vaughn Volius, and my wife Joni and my little um, three-month-year-old Lila um, are happy and honored to be here with you. Uh, and this morning, um, Kent Suits has uh, asked me to come and, and to preach. Uh, and so just before I jump in and uh, dive in, I would love to pray and just to settle my heart and to settle ours um, to hear from the Lord. And so pray with me. Lord, um, I come before you thanking you for today. And the privilege I have to stand here and proclaim your name to your people. I pray that you would use me this morning, that you would speak through me. And I pray that your people would leave in awe of you and eager to obey you. Myself included, I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. So just a little bit about me. Um, I work for a college campus ministry named Campus Outreach. Um, at USC and at Benedict College. And I've been a part of this ministry um, for about eight to nine years now. And again, like I said, I'm honored to be able to stand here um, and to preach God's word um, and to tell you what the Lord has really laid on my heart um, through our text. And so this morning, what we're going we're gonna to be in Daniel. And so we're going to look at Daniel 3. And as you can see behind me, um, that we're going to be looking at the fiery furnace. And so before we, um, before we dive into our content, I would love to read this passage in its entirety for us. And so starting at Daniel, uh, starting in Daniel 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold image whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the pro, uh, provost, um, province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, excuse me, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, um, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music 
shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigun, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the Lord? Who is the God who would deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of our hands, out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The king Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bond Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took, took, them, took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fire, burning fiery furnace. The king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three bound men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, and, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not, had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent, no, excuse me, yeah, who has sent his angel and delivered the servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. May God add a blessing to the reading of the word. All right. Long passage. 
Um, we're going to dive in. And so to kind of get us settled in here, going back, when I was in college, I went to Presbyterian College, a small little school in Clinton, South Carolina. And I was about 19 years old. And I had a friend of mine um, that asked me one day when we were um, hanging out in our dorm room, he asked me, he said, Vaughn, I'm in a little trouble. And I said, okay, man, uh, shoot. I'd love to hear, I'd love to be here for you. And, and he said that he uh, got a young lady pregnant. And as he began to share what happened um, and what was going on, he then asked me a question. He said, Vaughn, I'm looking to, um, and we're potentially looking to get an abortion. Would you be able to help with the funds? And I sat there, um, not on the expression of my face, but inwardly with my mouth dropped and wondering, oh my goodness, what will I do? And I know it may be easy uh, right now to say, no, you definitely wouldn't. But in my 19-year-old self, questions started to roll. What would God think if I did this? What would my friend think if I told him no? How would culture respond to what and how I respond? Will he cut me off? Will I lose my friend right here in this moment? And a lot of those questions became to flood my mind, and I sat there, and I looked at my friend, and I thought to myself, I care about him, Lord. What should I do? And in love and in holding fast to what I knew and who Christ was, I told my friend that unfortunately I would not be able to help him. That I could help him in any other way, but I could not help him in that way. And I share that story because I think that actually that is a possible dilemma, and not just that story, but a dilemma that we could all face as believers. That we can face um, situations where we are brought into the face of hostility, and we have to ask ourselves, will we hold fast to Christ? Amen. Will we hold fast to Christ? And as I thought about that, I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego give us a beautiful picture of that. And so it says fiery furnace um, for our, our message. But my main point and what my, my title of my talk would be is holding fast to Christ in the face of hostility. God is a deliverer, so we can hold fast to him in the face of hostility. And so I tell you that story again because it could have went a totally different way. My friend actually under said he understood that he seen um, the way that I walked, that I became a believer my freshman year, and that he understood why I couldn't help him. And he respected my decision. But I tell you, before I said that, I was nervous that he would. I was nervous that his response would be hostile and that it would go way, way left. But when I did share, I was thankful for the Lord that he did understand. And so I bring up that point because I would say, Christian, I would say, Christ community, this is not our home. That we are exiles in this foreign land. That our home is coming, and this place that we live is hostile and can be hostile. And Christ told us this. He said, if, he, if they persecuted me, 
they will also persecute you. Thus saying, living as a Christian here, where we live, where we work, and where we play, can be a hostile place for us. And I believe in our text that the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually give us help to see how are we to live, work, and play here in such a hostile territory. And so that's my first point, hostile territory. And so when I say hostile territory, what do I mean? What I mean is it's a severe, a severe conduct, supervision, rules within an environment where individuals are subject to intimidation and persecution for their beliefs. And I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in that very place. They are exiles in Babylon, and they have been taken from Jerusalem. And the king of Babylon, as we see in our text, King Nebuchadnezzar, is building this golden image. And just to give you a picture of what this looks like, I would assume that everybody's seen this. In the middle of downtown, there is a massive fire hydrant. This is a massive fire hydrant that I've passed, and I've said, why in the world is it here? But it stands at about 39 feet. And why do I say that? In our text, it says this golden image is uh, 60 cubits by 6. And I give you the 39 feet because what that means is this image is actually 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. So this image is massive. This image is captivating. It is pure gold. And so when you look upon this thing, imagine that fire hundred being 39 feet is double the size of that and some. Add about 13 feet to be precise. And so they build this thing and literally Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in this environment where they're being forced by their king to worship this God. But if you know anything about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are from Jerusalem. They are Jewish and they follow the God of Israel. And they know his law. They know what is called of them. And it says in Exodus, and it says in our first, the first commandment, that you shall not worship any other gods before me. And the three, three men here know that. They believe that. They hold fast to that. And so as they sit there and look at their king and look at this image and they're being called to do this, they are brought to a place to where they say, will they forsake their God? Will they bow down the knee? Not only is their king forcing them, not only is there intimidation and persecution, it says if you do not do this, you will be killed. That you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And so not only am I being forced by my ruler, I'm being threatened. My life is being threatened. And then to continue, the Chaldeans, the other citizens, are actually looking and praying on their downfall. He's actually looking to see their demise. And when they see that they don't respond by worshiping, they report them. And they go before their king and tell him they didn't worship. They didn't fall down before you, king, and before this golden image. And I bring that up because I ask, I ask us, do you hear the hostility that they're up against in Babylon? Today, our hostility, our environment, there's not a king that's saying, hey, there's a decree that you have to bow down. You have to bow the knee and worship this golden image. That you have to worship our gods and this idol right here. That's not our environment today. But I ask the question, what could the hostile environment be for you? Is it your workplace? 
Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it your neighborhood? Could it be that in your workplace, you find yourself in a place subject to someone over you and their leadership? And rules and regulations are hostile to your faith? Could it be that you're a, a doctor, a Christian doctor, and that you're being asked to perform an uh, abortion? That you're a Christian doctor and that a child is seeking to have a sex change? Could it be your family? Could it be your family that they do not believe in the God that you believe in? That they look at you with disdain for even trusting, even believing, thinking that you are foolish? And my question is, how do we respond? I ask, in the face of hostility, how are we to hold fast to our Lord Jesus Christ? And I ask, what will you do when you're presented with something like that? When your coworkers or bosses laugh at you for trusting in the Lord? When your family and your friends bow the knee to culture and say that that is true. You know in your heart that it's not. How about your bosses, coworkers, friends, family members who question God's power, who have no regard for him and think it's foolish, like I said? How do we live, work, and play in a hostile environment? And I think we see this interaction with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 15. We see that King Nebuchadnezzar questions God's power directly, where he says, and who is God who will deliver you out of my hands? King Nebuchadnezzar questions the God of the Jewish boys. He questions his ability. He's saying that you are in my hands, and who can take you out? We're familiar with this. If you think back to Exodus with Pharaoh, he said the same thing. He said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Pretty much what both these men were saying is that I believe my power is more powerful than who you believe, who you trust in. And I think by Nebuchadnezzar asking that question, he pretty much looked at those guys and said to the Lord, let him try. Let him try. Man, let him try. And I ask you, have you seen that in your life? This is why I said at the beginning that this, where we live, where we work, and where we play, could be a hostile place. Because what we believe in, who we trust in, is at odds with the culture. It's at odds with those who do not believe, just as it was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so with us being at odds with the world, there's a, a truth that we must hold on to that is truly tough. But I believe we must embrace. And is that holding to Christ can be costly. It can be costly. So the question is, what did it cost these men? What will it cost us today 
to hold fast to Christ. And that goes in our second point. Holding fast to Christ is costly and can be costly. And picking up in verse 16, the boys are presented another chance. They are brought forth by the Chaldeans to King Nebuchadnezzar. And as they sit there, King Nebuchadnezzar says, is this true that y'all would not worship, that y'all would not bow to my gods or my kings? And as he looks at them, I think a point that I saw was the fact that he actually, as he's asking and saying, no, not y'all, not the ones that I've put in position, the ones that I've given my favor, the ones that I've given care to. I know that y'all, y'all not disobeying. You know what? We'll set everything back up. We'll put everybody in their place. We'll get everybody to come together. We'll do it again. We'll play all the music, and y'all can worship now. And if y'all do, all in good. And so let's do it. But I think the beauty is in the response of Christ's servants, the response of these three Jewish boys. They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I saw that and I said, is that even a response? I'm like, man, that's crazy that that would be their response. But looking at Matthew Henry's commentary, I saw something that was so, he said this so well. He said that their response was a response. He was saying that they were so resolved in the fact that they would not bow that there was no need for them to even have the second trial. That they could have skipped all all this. And King Nebuchadnezzar, in the same way, had the same resolve. If they did not bow the knee at this moment, I would throw them in the fiery furnace. And so what in that moment, what that phrase, we have no need to answer you in this matter, pretty much said is, King Nebuchadnezzar, do what you will do. We will not change. We will not falter. We will hold fast to Christ in the face of this hostility. But they go on. They don't just leave it there. They say, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So if they weren't clear, they were very clear right here, saying they would not worship. And so I bring back to us when we hold fast to Christ in our workplace, it can be costly. Just as it was costly for them. They were going to lose their position as officials. They were going to lose the favor of the king. But most importantly, they were about to lose their lives. And so I ask you in that same vein, could that be where you are? Holding fast to Christ could cost you that promotion. It could cost you your very job. It could cost you your career, your livelihood. It could cost you a relationship with your family. Or you are the estranged family member that's not invited to events anymore because of what you believe. That as we see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it could cost you your very life, like it did a young woman in Colorado back in 1999, where she said, I believe in God when one of the shooters asked her and he shot her on the spot. 
And so we see that this life of holding fast to Christ, walking with the Lord, can be costly. And my question is, how can we endure that cost? How can we walk and continue to hold fast when this world is so hostile, when this standing is so costly? I think scripture tells us, and it tells us that we can cling to Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. And it says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Which leads us to our third point. You will not be burned. Isaiah 43 literally tells us you will not be burned. That the Lord will be with you and that you will make it. And so we see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they believe in the Lord's delivering power here. They trust the words of Isaiah 43. And it's subtle, but pay attention here. They say that God is able to deliver them out of their hand, no matter the outcome. What they are saying is that God would deliver them either in this life or in the life to come. That either God would deliver them from the fiery furnace or that God would deliver them through the fiery furnace. And as they're burned up, that God would sweep them up and bring them to his heavenly place. And that they would not be in Nebuchadnezzar's hand no longer. And so they see the full scope of what deliverance is. That it's not just in the flesh, but it's flesh and soul. That they know that their God will deliver them. So they proceed without fear, knowing that God is with them. And they walk, bounded to be taken and thrown into the fiery furnace. And I think the thing that's so cool is in verse 21, they give this long list of all the things they have on, tunics, hats. They show everything that they had on, and they get thrown into this fiery furnace. And we see the response of the king that he bumps up the heat to seven times the temp. And we see how hot this is, that it literally kills the men that throw them in. And I believe that all those details are shared because we see the full power of his deliverance. That as we see what happens, something miraculous happens. King Nebuchadnezzar looks and sees and even questions. He says, didn't we throw three into the fire? And his official said, yeah, yes, king. And literally they say, he says, but I see a fourth. And all four of them are unbound and walking around. They're not looking to get out. They're not fearing. Nothing that they're wearing is burned. But the only thing is the very thing that bounded them. That God in his grace and his mercy, the only thing that burned by the fire was the, the rope that bound, bound them. And we see that their lives are preserved.
So we see that they're not burned. And so I say to us, this is a truth that we can hold on, that we may not be burned as we hold fast to, host- this hostile, um, to Christ in this hostile territory. So when you are in that workplace and your coworkers and bosses don't bend the knee to the Lord and make life a living hell, a fiery furnace, know that there is a fourth man that is with you, and he will give you the endurance to endure. When your family, when you're estranged from your family because they kick you out because of you bending the knee to the Lord, when you're alone and you know a family function is going on, know that there's a fourth man with you, giving you the grace to endure. And so I believe that they were able to walk into that place because they knew that God would be with them. They were able to say to the king, we will not bow to this golden image because they know that their God will be with them and they will deliver them. And I also believe that they knew that this hostile territory wouldn't be forever. That they knew another truth that goes into our fourth point and last point before we conclude is that every knee shall bow. That Romans 14, 11 says, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. Guys, at the end of our passage, we see this change. Nebuchadnezzar is astonished that they are unhurt, that there is nothing wrong with them. As Luke 21, 18 says, not even a hair on the head has perished. And he calls them out. He says, come on out. And when they come out, you see this tomb change. That at the beginning of our story, King Nebuchadnezzar is making a decree that you will worship this golden image. That within this hostile territory, that you will be killed if you do not. But we see this change. And now a different tune is being sung. That the hostility that was towards these three Jewish men and to God has now changed to their praise to the praise of that God, to the praise of the servant holding fast to that God. Look here in verse 28 and 29. It says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then 29, therefore now I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Guys, maybe holding fast to Christ, God uses it to change that hostile territory. Maybe the boss and co-worker acknowledges your resolve, and you get that promotion later. Maybe it leads to a witnessing opportunity with a co-worker or even your boss, or that you see the hearts of the people around you softened. Maybe this happens in your family as well. It happened in our story. King Nebuchadnezzar went from questioning the Lord's power to revering the Lord's power. 
We don't know if this will be. I can't promise you that these things will happen in your workplace or in your family or in your relationships or with your friends. But what I can say is not to fear because the Lord is with you and he will deliver you. So press forward in hope, holding fast to him. His promises are true. This territory won't be hostile forever. He's coming back and every knee will bow. So believer, keep pressing on. He's returning to make all things new. So keep holding fast. Keep holding fast. So in conclusion, as we look at our story and as we come to an end, I can't neglect the fact to say, I can't neglect to say, that this doesn't just apply to the hostility that is around us. But I believe that it also applies to hostility that is within us. And what I mean by that is I'm talking about our indwelling sin. That our indwelling sin is actually hostile towards the Lord. And it's trying to kill us at every chance that it gets. And I think in this story, these same points, these same truths, point us to the ultimate deliverance we have actually in Christ. Guys, there's a war going on outside. It is a very polarizing time. But I think there's even a grander war going on within us. And Paul shows us that inner war in Romans 7 when it says, so I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Tell me if this sounds familiar from our story. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I'm, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Guys, and be, because of Christ, we can say along with Paul, thanks be to God. Because his son has entered into this hostile territory, this world of sin, and lived perfectly in a way that we couldn't that he laid down his life, holding fast to Christ, obeying his word, obeying him to the point of death, death on a cross, like Philippians 2 says, going into the furnace, becoming sin on our behalf. On that Good Friday, and on that Resurrection Sunday, Guys, he rose again and defeated death and sin. Defeated the great enemy that we can't outrun. 
and delivered all. Guys, he delivered all who trust and hold fast to him from this body of death. That we can also say with Paul, and now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God, this is, this is the good stuff. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor fiery furnace, no King Nebuchadnezzar, no workplace or boss, no family member, nor things present, nor things to come, no powers, no culture, nor height, no massive statue, no depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ, in Jesus our Lord. And knowing that God is our, he is your deliverer. So hold fast to Christ in the face of hostility. He will deliver you. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you right now and just want to say thank you, Father. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for being a God that is a deliverer, a God that is with your people, that you not sit idly by, and that you will be with us. Help us not fear. Hold fast to you. And walk humbly with you, Father. So I pray that you would strengthen your people, that you would put these words in their heart, that they would know that you are with them, and that they can hold fast to you in the face of hostility. So we pray and give these things to you in your name. Amen. At this time, we come to a